Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to a Talking Point on this beautiful Monday evening. Uh, this evening, very interesting. We're talking about an article that was written by a person that is on the line at the moment. It's called Use Them and Lose Them Finding Alternatives to Antibiotics to Preserve Their Usefulness. We have online none other than Christine Carson. She has a PhD in a research associate and a school of medicine and pharmacology at that's the M503, the University of Western Australia. So she's all the way from down under. Good evening to you, Christine, and how are you? Yeah, very well, Yusuf. Nice to be talking to you. Oh, thank you for making yourself available. Uh, Christine, we've been in correspondence for quite some time now in connection with uh, trying to uh, ascertain also to, to trying to look at alternatives because people are, are very much uh, involved with uh, natural health and busy with uh, understanding the antibiotics and what is necessary. The, your, that's your field of study and you were even here in South Africa. Now, looking at the past decade, we consistently heard about antibiotics don't work as well as they used to. Now bacteria are becoming increasingly resistant to their effects and we are approaching a time when many bacteria could be resistant to all antibiotics. That is all in your words. Can you just elaborate on that if you don't mind? Yusuf, look we've had antibiotics um, for about 70 years now and they've worked remarkably well for a very long time. However, we are approaching a time where because bacteria have been exposed to antibiotics in such large quantities, they've found ways of getting around the way the antibiotics work. So they've found mechanisms to outwit the antibiotics, if you want to put it that way, and they can now resist the actions of the antibiotics. And we are, as I said in the article, approaching a time where there will be many different types of bacteria that are resistant to every type of antibiotic that we've got. Now, that's fine as long as you're healthy, but say you want to have a knee operation or you get a, a cut on your skin, if your knee operation site or the cut on your skin gets infected with an organism that's resistant to antibiotics, then that could end up killing you because nothing can treat that um, bacteria and make it go away. That is very scary because uh, we're always thinking and uh, looking at uh, the medical industry or should I say pharmaceutical industry to provide us the, the correct prescription or the correct drugs to actually prevent uh, any th uh, calamities happening, preventing and ensuring that antibiotics is, uh, is working at, at its optimum levels. Yeah, that's true. And look, the pharmaceutical industry has done a very good job of coming up with a number of families of different types of antibiotics and you know we have had different types of antibiotics over the years and each new group of antibiotic has had particular strengths and weaknesses and one of the reasons that we don't have any new antibiotics at the moment is that you know we've discovered a lot of the low-hanging fruit so you know many of the easier to discover antibiotics we've already done it and it's getting harder and harder to find unique groups of compounds that might be suitable as antibiotics I mean, another reason that we're not seeing too many new antibiotics is if a drug company, if a pharmaceutical company has a choice between finding a new antibiotic that you might take for two weeks and then you'll be cured and you won't take it anymore, or they can invent and develop a new blood pressure drug that you might need to take for 25 years, where do you think they're going to focus their energies? Mm. And that, that is so true. That is, uh, you know, how, how many people in our community do echo the same sentiment that when you think you are taking drugs for a better health, but not knowing you're taking something that will actually ensure that you become part of uh, the sustainable industry. 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, th- there are a variety of reasons why we haven't had new groups of antibiotics discovered in, in more recent times. And, you know, I've mentioned a couple of them. But, you know, there's, there are still new things to be discovered and hopefully there are ways that we can outwit these um, very resistant bacteria. Now, uh, Christine, uh, I'm speaking to Christine Carson from all the way from Australia, from Down Under, and I do say thank you for making yourself available for this interview. Now, Christine Carson, I would like to know about you. You coined a phrase called apocalyptic premonitions. Can you maybe tell me what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I guess we're talking about a time where um, there might be a bacterial infection, perhaps it's pneumonia. And so winter will come around and people will get, um, they may get viruses, so they may get colds and flus and they're caused by viruses, so antibiotics won't help you there. But it might make you vulnerable to getting another infection on top of your viral infection. Now let's say a particularly resistant bacterial pathogen is circulating and it's resistant to lots of antibiotics. So you might already be a little bit sick with um, a cold or you might have influenza and then you get a bacterial infection on top of that and if it's with an antibiotic resistant organism that either doesn't respond to treatment or is very difficult to treat then you could end up dying from that, that infection. If you're looking at the various problems that we do face on a day-on-day basis, it's not just to say it is uh, just the accident or the incident that happened. There's so many factors that we also have to look at that also influences also our state of being and our health. Mm. Yeah, of course your underlying health will influence the way that your body manages a bacterial infection. The other thing is that you know we, we have used antibiotics for, for many more things than just human health. We've used them for um, other animal health as well and we've also used them in agricultural and animal industries as growth promoters. So we've fed them um, in very, very large quantities to animals to try and enhance their growth so that they can be um, used for food sooner. And we've also used them in aquaculture for fish farming. So, you know, very large quantities of antibiotics have been used for non-medical reasons in humans, but all of the use of antibiotics contributes to the effect of antibiotic resistance. Focusing now on the, the section talking about antibiotics, and you have also non-antibiotics and antimicrobials also inhibited the, and kill bacteria. Can you be more specific and elaborate on the different types of antibiotics that is necessary in order to ensure a good health? Yeah, okay. So look, there are two, I mean, broadly speaking, when you get an infection, you it will either be treated with a systemic antibiotic, so that's an antibiotic that you ingest and it goes into your gut and then into your bloodstream and it disseminates all the way through your body and finds the bacteria wherever they are and hopefully inhibits and or kills them. So that's a systemic antibiotic. Sometimes if you just have an infection um, which is, say, just very superficial on your skin then you can be treated with topical antibiotics and some of the alternatives that I was talking about in my article on the conversation were really ideas I guess for substituting um, antibiotics that we might use topically for other antimicrobial treatments that we could use topically so we could preserve we could save the antibiotics until we really need them.
now, if the alternative treatment didn't work. Wonderful. I'm speaking to Kristen Carsten all the way from Australia. Um, she's She's got many accolades of academia uh, behind her, but now looking, focusing on the issue at hand, we're talking about uh, we are constantly, our body's evolving, and one of these days, the antibiotics we are feeding our body won't work anymore. Now, looking at natural health, or should I say going back to basics where we're looking at going back to nature what's your thoughts on that well look sometimes you can get ideas from nature um, and then you need to sort of fine-tune those and see whether they would work in a in a medical setting in a more formal setting I mean if something is of benefit to a few people then sometimes it's worth examining a little more closely to see if that benefit couldn't reach you know to see if the benefit is real and then to see if that benefit could possibly reach a wider group of people um, so like some of the work that has been done on honey has shown, we've shown in the laboratory that honey can inhibit the growth of bacteria and kill them and there are many studies that document those effects in the laboratory but the laboratory situation is very different from the real life situation and there are a few trials done in humans where they've shown that honey can be a very useful topical treatment for skin infections, um, for um, something called catheter exit sites. So sometimes when people are hospitalised, they have um, a permanent catheter uh, inserted into their skin and those sites are prone to becoming infected. Um, and there are some studies which show that honey can be used to treat those infections or indeed to prevent those infections from occurring. Wonderful. Uh, as I said before, I'm speaking to Kristen Carson, PhD, Research Associate, School of Medicine and Pharmacology, the M503, the University of Western Australia, and uh, she's coming all the way from down under. Um, she does also does a translation of renal research group and a Harry Perkins Institute of Medical Research. So I do thank you for making yourself available for this interview with uh, that wonderful accolades. Now we're focusing still on the health and looking at uh, uh, specifically going natural. When you're looking at honey, you're looking at mananose, you're looking at tea tree, and I believe you were in South Africa also to implement the tea, the tea tree oil. So can you give us some more information about your uh, your findings and your project, that you, uh, your, the thesis that you did here in South Africa? Yes, yeah, certainly. Look, a number of years ago, one of the things that we were interested in with tea tree oil is that it does kill a very wide range of bacteria and fungi and viruses. Now, tea tree oil is toxic if you ingest it, so it can only be used topically. It can only be used, you know, outside your body. So skin application um, is, is a real possibility. And one of the infections that we were interested in is something known as impetigo, it's more commonly known as school sores and they're often um, sores that um, children get on their arms and legs. They can get them at other places on their body as well but I guess we see them on their arms and legs and they're often um, sort of honey-coloured um, crusted sores and they, you know, they can hurt, they can itch, they are an infection so they do spread quite rapidly from one child to the next, um, usually with contact. Um, and you know they're just unpleasant to have. Now normally children would either take a course of systemic antibiotics so they would take they would you know swallow tablets or capsules for a couple of weeks and that may clear the infection. Alternatively they may apply an antibiotic cream or ointment to all the lesions that they have and that might make the infection go away. We were interested in knowing if a tea tree oil gel could 
um, successfully treat the infection. And I'm struggling to remember the numbers now, but we looked at about 18 children, uh, oh no, it was 30 children with infection, and within 10 days, I think 17 or 18 of them had been completely cured, um, 12 had significant improvement, and one in one child, the infection had actually got worse, but there was a reason that explained that that child also had scabies, and it's very difficult to treat school sores if you also have scabies. Wow, so why wasn't it embraced and accepted in South Africa? Well, it, 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 I guess the company that we were doing the work for is just a small company, and really, to be able to use this treatment more widely, you need better proof than what we managed to generate. You need more data from larger, um, randomised controlled trials, preferably, and that's the way that you demonstrate and prove that a product really does work but those trials cost money. Mm -hmm. And the kinds of products that we've been talking about, they're generally natural products, people already know about them, they already know that they can inhibit the growth of bugs and kill microorganisms, so there's nothing there that can be patented. And if, if a company can't protect its investment in a trial so that they can be the only person to sell that product after the trial, no company is going to invest in that. So. You can't generate the funds to do the work to prove that the product is effective because nobody has a market monopoly afterwards. So it's very frustrating at times. Yes, at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is the money. Funding, if there's no funding. Follow the money. Uh, there's a lot of money that's necessary. Um, it's time for a break. Let me take a short break and be back after this with Talking Point. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome on this beautiful Monday evening on the 21st of December. Yes, it's almost uh, that time of the year where we can say, Alhamdulillah, the year is done and we and we have a new year to look at. But uh, for this year, we're still focusing on your health and also looking at the what you are eating and is it uh, really successful what you are doing, especially looking at treatment-wise. Now, this evening, we have a link up with an, a phenomenal lady called Christine Carson. She has a PhD in a research associate and a School of Medicine and Pharmacology at that's the M503, the University of Western Australia. So she's all the way from down under. And she's giving us some more information on the article that she wrote now recently in the conversation. The caption is, use them and lose them. Finding alternatives to antibiotics to preserve the usefulness. Uh, good evening to you. Good evening, Yusuf. Still here. Now, uh, Christine, we were talking about now the health, uh, healthy aspects in looking at um, how tree tree oil is used topically. Besides tree tree oil, you're looking at honey, you're looking at mananose. There are various other natural alternatives, but we are not embracing it in its full potential. Why do you think, as you've also alluded to it, you're saying funding, the most important thing. If there's no funding to go ahead, then it's useless going ahead with a project. 
but now many of those alternatives can actually help our population with as an anti antibiotics and various other anti antivirals that's necessary to tackle the various diseases that we have in our uh, current paradigm now looking at our uh, funding to how do you think crowdsourcing or uh, alternative kind of funding do you think that would work for for this type of industry Look, it's possible. There are a number of philanthropic or sort of benevolent funding bodies who would fund these kinds of projects. Um, and crowd, you know, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding is also another option that people could use. Um, it's difficult to know, I guess, until you come up with a project that you feel will capture the imagination, particularly of crowdfunding. Um, so you need a project where people can really feel that they can be part of change. Yeah. Uh, that is important. Uh, once people need to, first people have to buy into what there is and something that is successful. It's not just to say, okay, I've got something awesome. Um, teacher oil is going to work for you. Um, I've applied it to 100 people or, or, or X amount of people. Um, it's going to help you um, um, feel better, but do not take it. It's very poisonous or toxic. If you take it uh, orally, you should only use it as a topical cream. How do you think that will sell with, uh, with the public? I don't know. It's, it's difficult to know. People do quite like natural products. Often they like them because their conception is that it's a natural product and it can't be harmful. Now, while that's not entirely true, um, it, it can be useful in that patients are sometimes more inclined. Their compliance is better if it's a natural product. So they, they're kind of they're eager to use the product rather than perhaps being reluctant to use a synthetic product. So, you know, there can be advantages to um, trying to test or evaluate natural products. People often um, are quite keen to use them. Now, in your article, you mentioned some uh, interesting uh, ingredients which you're looking at, mananose and uh, trisodium citrate, predisposition, which is like, for example, the treatment of urinary tract infections. Now, can you give, give us some information? What is its purpose and how, if people are suffering from those various other related problems, tell me how would they be using them? Well, I'm not, I'm not so familiar with the mannose treatment because I'm not sure that that's available here in Australia, but certainly in some countries you can purchase um, mannose-type powders that people just, you put a spoonful into a glass and you take that a number of times a day if you have got a urinary tract infection. Some people also use it for the prevention of, if they suffer regular urinary tract infections, then they will take that perhaps daily or um, every second day as a way of staving off that next mm -hmm. episode of a urinary tract infection. And that's because the mannose can actually prevent the bacteria from binding to the urinary tract. And if the bacteria can't bind, if they can't adhere to the sides of the urinary tract, it's much more difficult for them to create an infection. Uh, and the mannose just blocks that binding step. Um, so it's interesting that there's only been a fairly limited amount of work done on that because urinary tract infections uh, are, are, you know, can be quite serious. They can be very frequent. People who get them often get lots of them. Um, and this seems like a fairly simple solution for at least a small proportion of the people who are susceptible to urinary tract infections. 
So I find it amazing that more work hasn't been done in the area. It's very strange, yes. But uh, we actually come to the end of our uh, interview. I do say thank you for making yourself available. Uh, I'm speaking to Catherine Carson, PhD in Research and Associate, uh, School of Medicine and Pharmacology at the University of Western Australia. I do say thank you for making yourself available for this interview. I hope you have a wonderful year, festive year and, uh, and all yes. the best for the year to come. Thanks, Yusuf, and Thanks. Merry Christmas to you too. Same to you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.